I always wanted to be in the choir. And I was a little nervous in seminary trying out for the choir because I didn't grow up knowing much about music. I don't know how to play an instrument, and I I never took formal classes or formal training. And there was the most beautiful choir at St. Ben's in Covington, the seminary over there, and I really wanted to be a part of it. But I didn't feel worthy, and so I didn't try out. Well, after being there for a year and seeing that quite a few guys were in the choir who also didn't have much training or experience, and they were able to learn a lot in being in the choir, I thought, okay, well, let me try out. So my second year seminary, I built up all the courage I had within me and decided to try out. And the choir director, after hearing my audition, uh, gave me some compliments, and he said that I have great potential and that he would love to have me in the choir. And so I went, after that audition, I went to my, um, whatever, I went to seminary very happy. But he never followed up. I was waiting for him to tell me the next steps, and he never followed up. Like, he never told me what to do next. And so it kind of, the time went on, and it kind of just got awkward. And, And then I was just kind of humiliated, just kind of embarrassed, like maybe he really didn't want me in the choir and he just didn't know how to tell me, so he just didn't follow up. And so I kind of just took it as rejection. And so I was not in the choir, my second year of seminary. Well, my third year, I, I transferred, uh, you know, I graduated undergrad, and so graduate school was in a different place. So my third year of seminary, I went to Maryland, Mount St. Mary's, and they too had a great choir. And so I After all that history, I I was kind of discouraged and didn't really want to be in it, but I thought, you know, I I still have this desire, like I really want to be a part of this beautiful experience. So I mustered up all the courage I had in me, and I approached the choir director. And she was very kind, and she um, allowed me to, um, to have the experience, or basically try out by being cantor at the morning mass. We would have daily mass every day, you know, it's like a Tuesday morning, and, um, and it was just a seminary, and so there's really no pressure. Um, and so she wanted me to be cantor, you know, for one of the masses coming up. So great, I'm all excited, this is my chance, like I can finally, like, you know, hopefully do good and then get, you know, my foot into the choir, like I really want to be a part of this. And so I was, you know, kind of nervous. I, I practiced my, you know, my little pieces, you know, before bed. And, um, and I knew first thing in the morning, you know, I, I'd be able to, to canter at mass. And I remember waking up that morning with great angst. Because mass was at 7.30 and it was 8.15. For the first time in my entire life, and I, I really mean this, my entire life, I was, what, 22 years old, 23 years old at this point, never in my life had my alarm not go off until that day. My alarm did not go off. On the day that I was supposed to canter at Mass, like, this was my chance, and I blew it. What was happening? How did this happen? This, this has never happened before. Why would this happen? 
And I just remember being so humiliated, like for a number of reasons. One, just for missing mass. And, you know, at seminary, you notice everything. So everybody saw that I missed mass. And if they didn't notice, they noticed that there was no canter. And then their next question is, well, who was supposed to be cantering today? So now everyone knows that I overslept. And then I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this choir director's going to hate me. They're never going to give me a chance. And I remember trying to like build up my defense. Like I had to, ahead of time, think about, okay, What's going to be my explanation? How am I going to explain this to the choir director in such a way that she'll have mercy on me and give me another chance? How am I supposed to explain to her that I'm a responsible human being, that I, that I, I do deserve a second chance? What, what am I going to say? And so I prepared my defense, and I went down to her office, and she opens up her door and just simply says, where were you? <laughs> and I, of course, then proceed with an explanation. Fortunately, she had mercy on me, and long story short, I was able to get into the choir, and it was a wonderful experience. But that preparation for an explanation provided so much pressure and anxiety upon me, because to me, this explanation is everything. This is going to either make or break me. I have one chance to explain myself so that hopefully she'll give me another chance. And isn't that just the case often whenever we mess up, like we, we typically, our first thought is, okay, what's my explanation? Sometimes we're tempted to lie in order to explain ourselves into a second chance. Or sometimes we don't even have to lie. We really do have a good reason, but we have to think about how it can be convincing enough to prove to the person that we're not lying. Or whenever, on the flip side, perhaps uh, someone wrongs us, we... Expect an explanation. If they wronged us bad enough, then it better be a darn good explanation. And we can't wait to hear it. And then upon hearing that explanation, then, then we'll decide whether or not we will receive this person with mercy. That explanation to defend yourself seems to be an, expe an expectation that we all kind of put upon ourselves. But Jesus says otherwise. Today's gospel is one of the most beautiful stories in all of Scripture. We hear this wonderful story of Jesus appearing to Peter and a few other apostles after his death and resurrection. We see that Peter and the other apostles are, are fishing all night long. You know, it's been a few days since Jesus has risen, and uh, they must be hungry. It's time to fish trying to, um, you know, do what they're good at. And turns out, no fish that night. And Jesus appears to them on the shore. And with every other resurrection scene, we see that for some reason, the apostles, disciples, whoever it is, they don't recognize Jesus as, at first. And it's the same in this story. Jesus appears to them on the shore, invites, asks them if they caught any fish. They say no, they don't know it's Jesus. Jesus invites them to cast their net over to the right for a catch, and there's an abundant catch of fish, suddenly, miraculously, which, as we know, brings us back to that experience when they first encountered Jesus, at least Peter, James, John, and Andrew, when they first encountered Jesus, it was that exact same scenario, same place, Sea of Galilee, they didn't catch any fish all night long, Jesus appears to them invites them to cast their net over to the right, and there's an abundant catch. 
And right here, it happens again. And that's enough for St. John to recognize it is the Lord. Suddenly, Peter runs towards the Lord. And remember, it wasn't long ago that Peter denied the Lord, not just once, but three times. And before he denied the Lord at the Last Supper, the night before he died, Peter promised Jesus that he would never deny him. He said, I love you more than all of these other apostles. I, Lord, will be faithful to you. I will follow you even to death itself. He makes this promise. Jesus, of course, knows that Peter doesn't realize what he's saying. He even prophesies that Peter will deny him three times, and we know how that story ended. And now Jesus appears to Peter and the apostles again as the risen Lord. And you can imagine the possibilities here. You can imagine Peter perhaps had a defense prepared to give Jesus. Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. You can imagine, though, that other people hearing about this would expect Jesus to be ready for an explanation from Peter. But nowhere in the Gospels, in this scripture passage, do we see that. We do not see Jesus interrogating the apostles. Instead, we see him inviting the apostles back into reconciliation. Jesus doesn't interrogate. He invites. He invites you and me who have denied him more than three times back into reconciliation. He invites us to receive his love. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And since Peter denied him three times, Jesus gives him an opportunity to express his choice for Jesus three times. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. You know everything. You know that I love you. And even just to draw this connection between his, his sin and his reconciliation even more clearly, on the night before Jesus died, as Peter denied him, Peter was standing next to a charcoal fire, warming himself, comforting himself, and in that comfort, lost all of his strength to be faithful to Jesus, denying ever knowing him. And right here, in this reconciliation scene, on the Sea of Galilee, right there on the beach, Jesus has a fire to bring Peter right back to that moment, not to shame him, not to interrogate him, not asking for an explanation, but inviting him into reconciliation, inviting him to choose to receive his love and mercy. It takes a choice. It takes a choice to receive God's love. We like to convince ourselves that we can just kind of presume upon God's mercy, presume upon his love, like, oh yeah, God loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, but we don't really live our lives any differently. It takes a choice to have faith. It takes a choice to be humble enough to surrender control and receive the love of Jesus Christ face to face with our sin. It takes a choice 
to respond to the mercy of God, to be open enough to receive Jesus? Are you willing to make that choice? Are you willing to choose Jesus Christ? Because that choice changes you. That choice brings healing deep within, where you experience those wounds, that hurt, that pain of loneliness, of rejection, of fear, of discouragement. It takes a choice to let God in. It's so much easier to keep him at a distance, to know a lot about him, and to just pretty much think that he'll probably just take care of it all. But to allow God to change you, that's different. Will you make that choice? A choice to actively receive the mercy of God, to be honest with your sinfulness, to come face to face with your weakness, and to not be discouraged or surprised. Instead, to choose, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, I will allow you to love me and to set me free. We are not spiritual consumers. We don't just simply take in a bunch of information about God. We don't just simply receive the sacraments like a vending machine. We don't just take it and go on with our lives. We are disciples. Disciples on mission. God changes us if we choose to let him. He changes our lives by his love. And there's nothing else that our heart longs for more. We are changed if we choose him. But it engages our will. God invites us to make that choice. He doesn't force himself upon us with fear. Instead, he draws us by his love, inviting us to make a decision. And today we can make that choice. Consider whenever you feel tempted, you have an opportunity to choose. Yes, Lord, I love you. And in those moments, whenever you sin, whenever you do something that you know you shouldn't have, you have an opportunity to choose. Yes, Lord, I love you. I trust you. I allow you to forgive me. In those moments where you feel discouraged or far from God, you have a choice, a chance to make a choice. Yes, Lord, I love you. There's nothing that makes God happier than when we choose him. But to choose him, we have to first choose to let him love us. I want to invite you just to open your hearts today to receive the love of Jesus wherever you find yourself in your journey to make that choice. We don't sit around passively allowing the world to just affect us, allowing the gospel to just happen somewhere else. We make a choice for God to come inside and to make us holy, to make us saints, to make us disciples on mission. Amen.